It was a warm day, and the journey had been long. Jesus and his followers were walking from Judea to Galilee. And rather than avoid the region of Samaria, they chose to walk straight through. It was unheard of for a Jewish man to walk through Samaria because there were bitter emotions between the two peoples. But Jesus cared more about the people of Samaria than the contentious history between the Jews and Samaritans. So as Jesus and his followers approached the village, he sat down at a well and sent his followers in to get some food. Meanwhile, a Samaritan woman was completing her chores. She glanced up at the sun and realized it was noon, time to get water for the day. Most women didn't dread this daily task of getting water. For them, it was a social time, but not for her. Her indiscretion with men had made her an outcast in the village, and she had no friends. Rather than deal with them avoiding her and staring at her and ignoring her, she chose to collect water during the hottest part of the day. As she approached the well, she noticed a man sitting there. The closer she got, she realized this wasn't just any man. This was a Jewish man. He asked her to get him some water. Jewish men did not speak to Samaritans, especially a Samaritan woman. She hesitantly glanced around, unsure that he was speaking to her, but there was no one else there. She asked him, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for water? He said, if you knew who he was, if she knew who he was, and what he could give her, she would ask him for living water. She was a little confused and reminded him that he didn't have a jug, and that well was pretty deep. He told her that the water that he was talking about was not water from that well, because people who drank from that well would thirst again. But people who drank from the water that he would give would never thirst again. It was like living water that would spring up to eternal life. She got really excited at the thought of never having to go back to the well and get water. So she asked him, how can I get this water from you? It was at this point that the conversation shifted and she became a little uncomfortable. Jesus asked her to go and get her husband. She told him that she didn't have a husband. He said, you're right, you've had five, and the man that you're living with now, he's not your husband. Needless to say, she was shocked. She had never seen this man in her village before. How could he know her shame? She assumed that he must be a prophet, so she tried to change the subject and began talking about religious controversies of the day and where people should worship. But Jesus told her that God did not care about the location of our worship, that God wants people to know him and to worship him for who he is. She had never met a man like Jesus before. She told him that she had heard that a Messiah was coming who would explain everything to them. He then told her that he was the Messiah. Her heart probably felt like it stopped beating. In her excitement, she left her jug at the well and rushed back into the village, inviting everyone to come and meet this man who had told her everything she had ever done. A crowd soon gathered at the well. 
Jesus began teaching them, and they invited him to stay, and so he did for two more days. At first, many of the people believed because she had told them that this was the man who had told her everything she had ever done. But after hearing him teach, they knew for themselves that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. Last week, we looked at a scene where Jesus cleansed the temple in Jerusalem and dug into the implications of that and some things that he said in the context of, of that cleansing of the temple. That was the scene last week. Uh, and <clears throat> because of the controversy that was stirred up by him doing that, he decided to go from Jerusalem, which is in Judea, to uh, Galilee. And the straightest path from Jerusalem to Galilee is directly through Samaria. But uh, Jewish people in that day did not go the direct route. They, they would rather, they hated the Samaritans so much that they would rather go around. And it added two and a half miles. It doubled the, the length of the trip. They were walking. And uh, a two and a half mile trip became five miles because of their hatred for the Samaritans. Samaria is actually the West Bank. It's, it's the Gaza Strip, that area. So that, that, that controversy that is still boiling that we read about in our newspapers is, is, has been going on for somewhere over 2,400 years. And so you get a sense, because of what goes on today, of the hostility that was going on in Jesus' day. Jesus chose to take the direct route. Through, through Samaria, which made a loud statement. You know, we've all heard actions speak louder than words. And his decision to go the direct route said, God doesn't play favorites. Every person is equally important to me. And so that's, that's one of the things we pull out of this scene. His path through Samaria brings us to the second scene, which is the woman at the well that Aaron was sharing with us. We meet at the well, Jesus meets a woman, and then so we meet her. Uh, we meet a lost and empty woman who is searching for love. She's trying to get her deepest needs met by going from marriage to marriage, man to man. And she's, as she's trying to find the, the, this fulfillment, she comes up empty. Um, the woman was, was going, in, in the scene, the woman's going to the well to meet a basic physical need, and Jesus takes the opportunity to explain how he can be the one who meets her deepest needs in life, this life and the next. So in speaking, even in speaking to this Samaritan woman, Jesus demonstrates the unconditional love and acceptance of God. It says in John 4, 5 through 9, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's probably noon. Depends on if you're counting time by the Roman clock or or the Jewish clock. But it was probably noon, um, real hot part of the day. He says he's sitting by the well, and a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town. They weren't here. 
at this time. They'd gone into town to buy some food. And um, when he asked her for a drink, the Samaritan woman responds. She said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, not only a Samaritan who is hated by the Jews, but I'm a woman. And yet you're speaking to me. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? How, how is that? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. By having this conversation, Jesus shatters another barrier. Uh, walk through Samaria, that was one barrier. Uh, talk to the woman, that's another barrier. In, in this day, Jewish, according to Jewish law, which is not the scripture, this is man-made law that was added to the scripture, According to Jewish law, a rabbi would never talk to a woman in public, even his own wife. He would not have a conversation. In fact, a part of the rabbinical law said it's better to burn the law than to give it to a woman. So that shows you the attitude of the day. This is not scripture. This is man-made law. It's the same thing Jesus was responding to in the temple. These man-made laws that were set up. That are not right. They are not, they are not the way God thinks. It's not in line with God's perspective. So, in that culture, women were thought unable to receive and understand such lofty concepts as theology and religion. So, Jesus ignored this man-made barrier by having this conversation with women because they get into theology and, and, other important matters. So he raised her dignity and the dignity really of all women by having this conversation. It it shows you what he thinks and what God, therefore God thinks. We're all equally uh, valuable to God, whether you're Samaritan or Jew, whether you're a woman or a man. You're you're just as important to God. Um, In this scene, we also see that the Lord always meets us where we are and gives us what we really need. I, I think this is an amazing conversation that they have here. It says in, in John 4, 10 through 15, it says, Jesus answered her. If you, she's asking, she's trying to figure out why he's talking to her. And so then he, he responds, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Can you imagine how good that sounds to her? She's been making this half-mile trip every day to get this jar of water. And so she's, she's every day, she's going out. And she's going out, you know, and it looks like the hottest part of the day, carrying this jar of water, filling it up, carrying it back. And he offers living water, running water, that is, is going to be available whenever she wants it, right wherever she is. Because he goes on, and then, then it goes on in the conversation. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She's trying to figure it out. <laughs> she, she doesn't get this. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. She wants it. She's ready. Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw draw water. So in the middle of this conversation, Jesus promises 
to give her this living water that is going to meet her deepest needs. And it's also promised us. She's trying to meet these needs by going from marriage to marriage, man to man, and she is coming up empty. And, and we do the same thing. We, we go from person to person, maybe, friend to friend, maybe in, in marriage at times we find ourselves trying to meet our deepest needs through our husband or our wife. Um, we're, we're trying to accomplish things. We set our hearts on, oh, if I could just accomplish this, I'm going to feel good about myself. And boy, everything's going to come together. We put our heart on, you know, things. We set our heart on stuff. And we try to get the stuff that's going to make us feel good about ourselves. We do this. That's what she's doing. She's looking outside of God for her deepest needs to be met. Jesus is describing here, though, a deep well that's available to anyone who asks to to be filled with this living water that for his followers is is constant and available it's it's always there in our day we we have running water at least in our country we you know we can go to the faucet turn it on and the water pours out or actually we can go to the refrigerator sometimes you know fill up our cup get a drink we we don't understand physically how great this sounded to this woman but uh, Jer- Jesus is launching from this conversation that has to do with the physical need, and he's, he's, he's talking about a very real spiritual matter, that we tend to go outside of God to try to have this need met, when if we'll turn to God, he will meet our deepest need. He will give us what we want. It's not going to come through people, not any other people. It's not going to come through accomplishment or stuff. But it's going to come from him. So then Jesus goes on in the conversation and he shows the path to finding what we really need. In John 4, 16 through 18, he, he says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband what you've just said is quite true. It's an awkward moment. And you wonder, you, you, you listen to the conversation. He has just raised her level of dignity. And yet he brings this sore spot up. And you sort of cringe when you read this. You, oh, did he have to mention that? Oh, whoa. Didn't he know how it would make her feel? And the answer is yes. He had a very good reason for bringing it up. He, he, he brought this issue up because he is truly loving. And he's trying to help her get to her core need. He's trying to help her get to the, the root of her problems. Not just the, the, the surface issues, but to the root. And so he brings this up. But our reaction is sort of like in, in elementary school when you talk about mean teachers. You know, you're, you're in the only, oh, she's, you know, some teacher has a reputation, she's mean, or he's mean. You know, thou. And which parents always want their kids in the mean teacher's class. <laughs> now, why is that? Because parents are mature. 
They know the mean teacher is probably doing a great job. And they're the ones that are holding the kids to the homework. They're teaching. They're, they're trying to help them learn. Because when you grow up, you think back, wow, I can read now because of that. Me, you know, <laughs> Maturity brings perspective. And you're like, wow, I really appreciate that mean teacher. And that's, that's exactly what's happening here. With, with Je- you know, Jesus is not mean. He's not being, he's not bringing up this awkward conversation arbitrarily. He, he wants to help her and he knows there's only one path to do that. There is only one way to really help her. He's, he's reading her heart as he's talking to her. He's able to read her heart somewhat by her circumstances. I don't know if, if God, I, I think, it seems to me from the passage that God just helped him understand where she was coming from because he knew that she had been going from man to man to man to, to have these needs met. Um, and so he seemed to have known that. But he's reading her heart as he reads these circumstances, and he realizes because she's going out to the well that's a half mile outside the village and not to the well in the village, he realizes she's a moral and a social outcast. Fascinating thing is, these are the very people that Jesus came to to save. These are the people that he came to help. And so here he finds himself at this well, having this conversation with a woman that is exactly the kind of person that he wants to serve and help, and he wants to lead. And so he's carrying on this conversation uh, and trying to help her get to the core of the problem because this is his calling. He explained in Luke 5.32, he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to help people like her and me and you. This is why he came. He also said in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what is lost. To be lost means that you've disconnected from God. You don't have a relationship with him because you're living life independent of him. You've, it, the Bible says that every one of us has sinned. The word sin means that you're in rebellion to God. In fact, what it means is that you've, you and I have not natively, we don't decide to live for God, to do life his way, but we are living independent of him. And one of the symptoms of that is we try to have our meet, need, deepest needs met through other things besides God. That's really the heart of idolatry. But anyway, to be lost means that you've run away from God and his ways, and you live life disconnected from him. We've all made this choice, the scripture says, and Jesus says, that's why I came. So he's having this conversation with this woman because he wants to help. And so that's why the awkward moment That's why he says what he does. One of the consequences of this choice to disconnect from God is frustrating relationships. This this is the path. It's interesting because the path to getting what we really need comes many times through frustrating relationships. I don't have time to go in into this morning uh, why how this consequence came about or or whatever. But the truth is. We get into relationships and people don't do what we want them to do. And they don't give us the respect that we want them to give us. They don't do, they don't 
They don't appreciate us quite the way that we, we hoped they would. And it's frustrating. You know, before, before you're, you're married, you're thinking that's going to be the answer. We're going to get married and float through life together. Then you get married. It takes various lengths of time, but then you realize this isn't the answer. <laughs> this isn't, you know, going to meet my deepest needs. I've got to go somewhere else to have these needs met. And anyway, in the context of our relationships, we get frustrated because people weren't made to meet the needs that God alone can meet. He is the only one that can meet our deepest needs. So when we look to people to meet our deepest needs, we come up empty. The well is dry. You know, self-worth is a deep need. And, and many, many times we... we get frustrated because we try to meet this need through people and, and they're just not quite appreciative enough. They're not quite complimentary enough. You know, the boss, they aren't even paying attention. You, know, he, you, you did a great job on this presentation and he didn't even notice or she, she wasn't paying attention. So you get, you get frustrated with people. People never quite give us the respect or whatever it is that we want to make us feel good about ourselves good enough about ourselves anyway. So when we demand that people meet our needs, the well dries up. But when we depend on God and his resources, this is what Jesus is trying to say here. If you'll go to God, admit your need, admit that you need him, and rely on him, you will have this spring of water that wells up inside. What he's referring to is the, the Holy Spirit. Because when you, when you decide to turn from going your own way and go God's way, Scripture says that his spirit, God's spirit, comes to live in you, and he provides resources to help you to, to live your life, to, to meet your deepest needs as you need it, and then he gives you what you need to, to begin to change and live life differently. It's like going to the faucet for us or going to the refrigerator to get a glass of water. We, we have to go to the right source. We have to choose to go to the source, but it's available to us as we set out to, to do that. But when, when you depend on God, it changes the dynamic in relationships from frustration to appreciation. And God is hoping that this frustration will bring us back to him. Those who are lost to him, which is all of humankind, he hopes that we will come back to him and establish a relationship with him as we're getting frustrated in these relationships. So when we let God meet our deepest needs, we have enough to pour out to others. Anyway, the frustrating relationships is, is a part of the path to, to finding what we really need. Second aspect, the second thing is we find God's help by facing our core problem in life and turning to God for help. This woman's core problem was looking to men rather than God to meet her deepest needs. I don't know what your core problem is. Looking, you can fill in that blank. Looking to, maybe it's a person, maybe it's an accomplishment, maybe it's a possession. I don't know what it is, but fill in that blank. Jesus was confronting her. He was, he was having this conversation with her because confronting your core issue is the only way to prepare a heart 
for the seed of the truth that is planted there that can grow the fruit of the joy and fulfillment that you really want. This is the only way. He, he, he was trying to plow up the soil of her heart to get her ready to hear the truth about himself. The seed of truth that brings the life that we really want. We want this life. So this is how it is. This is how it works. In order to have a relationship with Christ, you have to admit your sin. This is the core need. This is, the, this is it. The core problem in our life is trying to live life independently of God and putting other people and things in his rightful place. That's really what idolatry is. We look somewhere else besides God to have our needs met, to help us walk through life. So we admit our sin and then we repent, which is a 180 degree change of mind to go God's way, not our own way any longer. But what happens in, I think, especially in America, is we're so focused on feeling good about ourselves that we don't want to admit our sin. We don't want to admit our flaws, that we're wrong. Um, But when when we don't admit, when we don't face our core problem, we don't get to the heart of the issue that way. So that's that's the struggle. It's like trying to treat appendicitis by taking an aspirin. The aspirin might dull the pain slightly, but you need surgery. You are not going to get healthy unless you go under the knife. And so Jesus understands that. He's not, he's not bringing up this, this matter to embarrass the gal. He is bringing it up because the only way, he knows the only way to find the help that she really needs is to admit what's going on in her life, to deal with reality as it, as it is, and to face it. When you admit your sin, then you find out how valuable you are to God because Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin already. God's made a way to pay for your sin. And so you admit it and you find how worthwhile you are because of what he's done. Jesus loves and accepts you like you are. That's what Jesus was saying. In walking through Samaria, in in speaking to the woman, he, he was showing love and acceptance. In the context of that, he brings the truth. And if we'll deal with the truth honestly, if we'll face it, then we can get the help we really need. Then our deepest needs are met. Jesus won't give you a Band-Aid when you need surgery. He will give you what you really need if you'll honestly face what you really need and deal with him honestly. So we do the same thing. You know, if, if you haven't yet committed your life to Christ... That's what needs to happen in order for you to establish a relationship with God through Christ. You've got to get real with him. We also do this, though, after we've committed our life to Christ. We do the same thing. We slip back into depending on ourselves and our own resources and trying to fill our lives up with other people, accomplishment, with things. You know, we look to these to sort of make us feel good about ourselves. And you know what? We need to get honest with God and say, God, that is wrong. No one, no thing can take your rightful place in my life at the center. The one who has promised to give me the living water that wells up in me for eternal life, 
Life in the future that goes on and on and on, but life right here and now in the present that makes life good. It makes things good. So that's an important thing to understand as you look at the conversation, what Jesus was trying to accomplish. In his next statement to the gal, there's another statement to the woman that he makes. In that statement, Jesus makes it clear that he has the power to meet our deepest needs. In John 4, 25 through 26, the woman said, I I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. The Samaritans were a unique mix of the Jewish religion and some other things. And so they were also looking for the Messiah. Actually, I think their picture of the Messiah Most of the Jewish nation at the time was looking for a political king. The Samaritans weren't. They were looking for a a spiritual king who would who would come and and make things good. So you can see in her conversation with him that she she's looking for somebody to come. Would you explain this life to me? Would you help me put this thing together? Because I can't figure it out. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. This is the most direct statement that Jesus makes about his identity until he is uh, during his trial, unless it's to his disciples. But it's, it's, it's outside of his inner circle. This is the most direct statement that he makes until later on in his life. He could make this statement in Samaria. If he made that statement in Jerusalem, he'd cause a riot, which, remember, is what he's pulling back from. So he can make this statement here in Samaria, and so he does. I am... The Messiah, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one who will bring life together. And I have this living water that I can offer you if you will accept it. So his true identity is the reason he can meet her deepest needs. It's the reason he can meet our deepest needs through the living water he gives. And that's what we're doing in this message series. We're sort of looking at these scenes trying to uncover what they say about Jesus' character, God's character, and his identity as well. And you'll find as you're investigating Christianity that there's a a real key to discovering Jesus' identity. A lot of things that that Mark is going to be talking about in the the seminar has to do with um, more an intellectual channel to verify Christianity intellectually, to show the historical evidence for Jesus and who he said he is, but there's also a side where you yourself, on a personal level, you have to check him out. And you have to say, okay, I'm going to try to figure out, I'm going to listen to the Bible being taught, I'm going to try to get to, to know what I can about it, and I, I need to experience the truth for myself. And in John 7, 17, later on, remember the book of John was written, so that people would believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And later on in the book of John, in John 7, 17, Jesus said this. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Now, this is, this is the key to understanding who Jesus is. You have to be ready to follow him or it's not going to come together. Sometimes we say, Jesus, show me who you are, and then I will think about whether or not I'm going to follow you. That, that kind of half-hearted commitment 
it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't help you in your search, in your investigation. You've got to go all in and you've got to say, God, if you are real, I will follow you. I will bow my knee. I will bow my heart. I will give you my life. And it's that kind of commitment in the search that brings the truth out. That's, that's a very important thing to understand. So decide to follow as you're checking him out, if he checks out. Next, though Jesus, through Jesus' example, we, we learn that deep fulfillment is given to those who obey God and live for his purpose. Sort of interesting, some things are going on in this scene. The disciples have been buying food. They've been away. They come back. They see what's going on. And they're trying to figure out why in the world he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And they're learning about him as well. Just as we learn about him, they're learning. But anyway, they had gone to get the food. And they're trying to convince him to to eat something. Because now, Jesus' conversation with this woman, she's gone to get the people of the village. They're coming back. They're starting to talk to him. And Jesus sees an opportunity to really help a whole group of people. And so he's ignoring the food that they went and bought. They dutifully did their, their job, and they want him to eat the food. But uh, they urge him. So they urge him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. His disciples are saying to each other, could someone have brought him food? Yeah, they're, they're trying to sort it out and try to figure out what's going on. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There is deep fulfillment when we set our hearts to obey God. When we obey God and live for his purpose, there is a deep sense of fulfillment because we're doing what we were made to do. Life and relationships are good. When you stop trying to draw your purpose out of them and when you stop trying to draw your fulfillment out of them you you really the well is dry you suck the life out of people and it's not there to give there's not this eternal quality of life sometimes god uses people to bring joy and fulfillment and that's his intent he wants our relationships to be good he wants us to enjoy them but when you're looking to them you've replaced god with a person or you've replaced god with an accomplishment that you're trying to accomplish something or or a thing the life isn't there in that These are things that God brings to bless us and make life good, but it's not there. But when you live for God's purpose, when you set your heart to obey him, that's a food that strengthens you, it fulfills you, that you don't find in any other way. Finally, everyone must discover the living water for themselves. John 4, 39 through 42 <clears throat> says the many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, she said to them. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many, be, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior. Of the world. Really, that's true. We, we all have to believe for ourselves. Every person on the face of the earth, if you want to have a relationship with God. Scripture says God died for everyone. So, or Jesus died for the whole world. He sent, God sent his son into the world so that we all might have eternal life. But we have to go to the source of the living water ourselves. 
we have to go to him and ask for help. We have to admit our sin. And first of all, probably investigate, find out who he is, admit our sin, and then repent. Turn around from going our own way to go God's way. Everybody must decide for themselves if they want this living water and if they want to experience the food that brings real satisfaction. Some of us here need to investigate further. And I want to encourage you to do that, to go on an all-out search for Jesus' identity, to, to check him out, to find out if he really is who he says he is. <clears throat> you can take some next steps. I'd like you to take that welcome card out that I mentioned earlier. And there are some next steps that you can take if you're interested and indicate them on the welcome card and drop it in the offering later if you will. If you're ready, if you've been investigating Jesus and you're ready to commit your life to follow him, uh, you can let us know on the back of that card. Just jot your name on the front, let us know. You know, I am, I am committing my life to Christ, or I would like to know how to become a Christian. There's a couple places you can check. If you want to investigate further, sign up for the seminar and dig in, and we'll, we'll see some of the answers. If you're a believer already, if you've already committed your life to following Christ, and you've been trying, as I've been talking, we, you know, we all tend to fall back and go to other things and people and places for, for, help and as our source of meeting our deepest needs. If you've been doing that, then check the box. I'm re- recommitting my life to Christ. I, I'm re- I'm, I'm going to not, I'm going to stop that. And I'm going to start going to God as the source. I've caught myself slipping back into this pattern of looking other places for my real help in life. Um, that's what worship is. Romans 12, one says, um, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, that is our worship. As you, as you follow Christ, we come together and we present our, God, our lives to God again. And we have to keep doing that. One guy said, uh, problem with living sacrifices, they keep crawling off the altar. And so we, we find ourselves, we crawl off the altar, we look to other sources when we should be looking to God for the help that only he can give, and we need to admit that and say, God, would you fill me again with the living water that you promised? Would you pray with me as we wrap up this morning? Father, we come to you and we thank you for this living water. I've experienced the refreshment that comes from knowing you and when I will go to you as the source, you, you provide this water and strength that wells up from the inside. God, thank you for what you've done. And I pray, Father, is there those here who are searching? They're investing.